0: Hi everybody, it's Ben and Dave again for the First Intuition Student Podcast. This is the fourth of our summer re-release episodes, and we've picked this one not only because it's a fantastic episode and involved one of our good friends and colleagues, Crystal Haygreen, but it's also statistically our most popular and downloaded episode As we're recording this re-release, this episode has already had 713 downloads, which is a phenomenal amount of people that have heard it. Dave, I'm going to let you share the original title of the episode because it's a really good name for the session. What was it called?
1: Well, as you know, the episode was all about understanding the the words that are used in the professional exams. And as we know, the most important words in those exams are the verbs, the doing words where they're asking you to do stuff. So we came up with a name, you took the verbs right out of my mouth.
0: Brilliant, lovely title. And I think as we spoke off air, you were claiming that was one of the reasons why we'd had so many downloads. So thank you. And maybe we need to continue with the, that the clever plays on words in the titles for future episodes. It's a really fantastic subject. I'm conscious as we're recording this, myself and Dave are still on holiday for the summer, but a number of students will be preparing for case study exams in August or synoptics that are still running or ACCA exams that are now looming on the horizon for early September. So really understanding the requirement in exam questions is vital to make sure your answers get the marks that your knowledge deserves. So I hope you enjoy the episode and continue to listen to re-releases that we've got coming up for the rest of the summer. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another First Intuition podcast. I'm Ben Bullman, and I'm joined again this evening by my colleague and good friend David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave.
1: Evening, Ben. And how, how have you been this week?
0: Um, a good week. Another busy week. I'm actually back into our Cambridge Centre tomorrow for exams. Regular listeners will know from time to time I get to go in and help out with the exam team. And so I'm rostered in tomorrow. Really looking forward to my trip into the office to see some students sit in their AAT exams. Aside from that, I'm up to my neck in marking at the moment. This is a busy time for all of our tutors where students are submitting their final revision mocks. I've got some audit scripts to mark when I I've, I've finished this evening and over the next couple of days how about you dave
1: very very similar very very busy as we get to i think as we referred to it last week the business end of the exam se- uh, of the exam season so yeah it's all about exam question practice all about marking and just getting students ready for those all important exams in a couple of weeks time. So yeah, very, very, very similar, very busy. Um, a little bit of Christmas planning. So a bit of Christmas planning at home. Um, we've actually, we've ordered some of the, kind of the entertainment for Christmas, we ordered some board games for the kids to be delivered over the, the next couple of weeks. Um, and we, I was actually speaking with a couple of our colleagues today, um, about a, um, a student Christmas quiz that we're going to be running via Zoom um, in, uh, I think it's about the third week in December. So we're looking at what prizes we're going to have, how it's going to run. So I'm hoping that everyone here on the forum, everyone listening on the podcast is going to try and register for that I can see already people saying that it's fun. Okay, it is going to be fun. Um, There's going to be questions, um, there's going to be some general knowledge questions, some Christmas-themed questions, probably a little bit of accountancy in there, but not too much accountancy because it is just after exams. Okay, so uh, we will release details of that. We'll see this on social media. We'll be emailing people. We'll talk about it in some of our forums. Okay, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, I'm trying to convince Kelly to host because she is the world's greatest Quizmaster, um, and just quite the expert at running those things. So we'll see how that progresses. i hopefully tell you more about it next week.
0: That sounds fantastic, Dave. Brilliant. Well, this week, as regular listeners know, most weeks we're joined by a special guest. I'm super excited this week with our guest. We've got Crystal Haygreen joining us this evening. I'm going to make a blush now. When I joined First Intuition, I think my first day in the office, a brand new tutor... Crystal was one of the first faces I saw, and I couldn't have wished to have met a nicer person on my first day. She was lovely, smiley, friendly. She said, there's a cupboard down the corridor, Ben, if there's any subjects that you're teaching that I've got notes or prep on, go and help yourself. And since that really first day, Crystal has been a massive help for me as my kind of development as a tutor. So I'm really pleased to have her join us as our special guest this evening. Welcome, Crystal. Crystal.
2: Oh, thank you very much, Ben. Um, well, I'm really excited to be joining you this evening. Um, thank you very much for asking me. What a what a different way to be spending a Wednesday evening. So thank you.
1: Excellent. And uh, I think I, 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 I've um, known Crystal, I think, for a little bit longer because I, I knew Crystal in a, in a shall we say, a previous employment um, before the, the days of first intuition. And um, the thing that always strikes me about Crystal, I'm sure she's going to share some of this a, a little bit later on, is that um, Crystal just seems to be an expert in everything. Uh, and it, and it's, it's, it's every time I have an idea about, you know, about kind of what an apprenticeship programme might look like, or what my course plan might look like, or how an exam question should be structured. Um, and, you know, I, I might mention it, and Crystal's saying, oh yeah, I've done that before. Okay, or I know how to do that. And uh, Crystal, absolute massive font of knowledge. So mm-hmm. Crystal, uh, real, real pleasure to have you on here. Um, I don't know if you mind, just for the, for the audience in attendance tonight and for the people at home, so, if you mind, just giving us kind of just a, a brief resume of, of kind of who you are and the kind of things that you've done.
2: Yeah, of course. Thank you very much, Dave. So, I started. I left going right back um, when I left college. I left college on the Friday. I started my first job in as an accounts assistant on the Monday. Um, It was something I always wanted to do. So started as an accounts assistant as the junior in the office, studied my ACCA weekend evenings, um, working in practice before um, when I was part qualified about halfway through, I moved over to industry. Um, which gave me some fantastic opportunities. I started with a company as a bookkeeper. And by the time I left, I was their finance director um, and standing as their operations director. So I got some huge experiences um, and a really fun, exciting um, career in both practice and industry. Um, Following that set up as um, with my own business, doing consultancy. And as part of that, I started doing a little bit of teaching um, at local colleges as kind of CPD um, in firms of accountants and thoroughly enjoyed it. I took on marking, I started getting involved with some of the professional bodies, um, and then decided that that was what I wanted to do. So I moved over to full time teaching. Um, I've been a tutor and involved in program development
1: ever since. Excellent okay cheers thanks sir and, and the reason that I think Ben and I wanted to to have you on at this kind of time is we've got a lot of students that are preparing SIN exams as we've mentioned already in the next two three weeks and you know if you one of the things you mentioned there kind of before teaching was the fact that you'd you know have done some marking and I think really for me, speaking with you about what markers look for and and that kind of almost the psychology of a marker, for me as a, as a teacher, it's really interesting to understand this is how people's exam papers will be looked at, and that's kind of some of the things that we we kind of wanted to discuss today. So, I guess, Crystal, why why is it that you know we think that students should be thinking about the marker when they're actually writing their exams?
2: I think it's really important. So when I was studying taking exams, I don't think that I really gave my marker a second thought until I was sitting my professional exams and my tutor at the time um, was also a marker and gave me a bit of insight into how important it was to really think about the way in which I'm presenting my answer. Um, So your marker, they're the person that is going to be giving you the marks. They're the person really who is deciding whether you pass or fail that exam. So they're really, really vital, important. You want to keep them happy. You want to make their job as easy as possible. And you want to be saying to them, this is what I want a mark for. I've said this, I deserve a mark. So making it really clear, um, really helping to guide your marker, through giving you those marks so that um, you achieve
1: okay because I I, I know I've had shall we say discussions with students where students have said why should I care about the marker because the marker is paid to assess my work and it's not my job to make it easy for them they get paid to assess me so is that the wrong kind of attitude to have do you think
2: oh absolutely it is Um, you don't get into marking for the money, I can assure you. Um, Marking is really, you do it because you're giving back to that industry. You're really, you really wanna make sure that the integrity of the qualifications of the profession is maintained. So you're really are looking to make sure that it's high quality exams, high quality responses, and that students are passing where they deserve to pass.
0: So, So the markers are obviously busy guys, what sort of tips would you give to students if they want to keep the marker happy without pleading in your exam to pass? What sort of things can a student be encouraged to do that would put a smile on the marker's face and hopefully get them to to maybe give more credit for the work than otherwise they would do?
2: There are some really quick wins. That's a really good question, Ben. So, my kind of tips would be to keep your marker happy, make your marker tick. Um, so to give you those marks, making sure that you have good, clear headings. So if a question has got three parts to answer, you need to be showing in your answer that you've got three parts to your answer. So three good, clear headings. Um, plenty of subheadings as well. When I'm marking work and I see someone's put a subheading in, I think, right, that's what they want two marks for or that's what they want one and a half marks for whatever it is that's allocated to those um, those areas that you're covering so good clear headings lots of subheadings don't mix up two good points that you're making in the same paragraph because it might get missed it may be sort of absorbed together and you miss out on getting as much credit as you could for it short sharp paragraphs as well If you get confronted with a whole page of text, your heart sinks, it's really hard to mark. Whereas short, sharp paragraphs, lots of white space in between, making one good clear point, it's easy to allocate those marks to you. Um, Another thing which is really, really important, real quick win, which we wanna make sure that we're not only showing that we've got the knowledge, but that we've also got the understanding of a topic. So, by taking your knowledge, whatever it is that you've explained, you've described, you've defined, taking that and giving an example. So, illustrating it in some way. So, whether you're taking a piece of information out of the question, whether you're using some of the numbers, whether you're making a recommendation or coming up with something that might be appropriate, an idea, illustrating that point that you've made is what shows your marker that. I don't just i haven't just read it i actually get it i understand it as well
0: cool A C- couple of things i usually hear from students that maybe you could give us some insight to as your previous roles and experience of assessing spelling how important is it i know lots of students get really hung up about spelling in their answers for the written parts as an assessor, would you mark students down for that or, or is it a relatively lenient marking process, would you say?
2: I would say it's relatively lenient. We're not we're not assessing you on your grammar, on your English. It needs to be understandable, though. So making sure that you are getting your point across, that you do understand the verbs and the way in which you're responding the language that you use is appropriate in order to get your point across that's much much more important than worrying about whether something should have an e or an i in it um, to spell it so i'd say less so on the spelling less so on the grammar but more so on making sure that you're you're clear in how you get
0: that point across cool And, and the other thing i usually get from students is but if if my content is there Why do I need to present it in a a style that's any different from just typing it out? Surely what I've written is good enough. Um, I'm aware that some of the the units have got additional marks maybe for presentation. What's your kind of feelings on that for students to encourage them to present their work in a, a more user friendly format?
2: Definitely, it's become more and more important. Um, So many of the professional bodies, they actually have marks that are available. They're professional marks. So you may well have seen that in examiner's reports or on mark guides, that there's some professional marks available and they are for the way in which you demonstrate your skill on presenting and getting your information across to the reader. So having a good clear layout, using tables where they're appropriate, using lists in a limited format if it asks you to explain a list isn't going to be good enough that's not presenting it in a professional manner Um, and many of the professional bodies do have a stream throughout their qualification that really does focus around communication and visualization Um, so those communication marks are important, Um, so it's not necessarily English, it's not spelling, it's much more about how you get your information across um, that you're going to get those professional marks for.
1: Excellent stuff, Crystal. And now one of the things that I I was kind of just thinking as we were talking there is that, and I don't know Ben, you can kind of relate to this, but possibly some of the most stressful nights that I have are uh, when a group of my students have done mock exams during the day, and then I take home 25 exam scripts, and I've got that night to mark them because they need a marked paper on their desk the very next day. And I can't sleep until those 25 exam marks are, are, are actually marked. And as I go through each exam paper, By the time I've gone through about two or three of them, I will open up a page and I will either look at it and say, right, that page is probably about five marks because I can see two headings. And one of those headings has got three nice kind of like sentences written there that this looks like it's about right. And I'm thinking three marks there. The other one's not quite as good. So it's probably two marks. And I almost kind of like have a, a sigh of relief when I see something like that, because I think I know I'm gonna read these three points and if they're good, they're getting three marks. And if the other two underneath that are good, they're getting two marks. So I could just read them, go tick, 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 move over, I'm marking the next page and I'm closer to getting to bed. Now, is that what, as a professional marker, when you've done it in the past, is that something that, that does that kind of factor into how you feel and as you mark things or, or not?
2: Absolutely. So a good, clear answer, having those headings and subheadings and showing me that I open up that page, I open up that mock exam and I've got those kind of five paragraphs. It it is the student saying to me, I've got five good things I want to say. I've got five things that I want you to give me marks for. And I'm expecting already to be given a couple of marks for each of those paragraphs provided they are good they hit the requirement and they're well explained and applied they're going to get um, a couple of marks so yeah really important
1: because the flip side of that is when you do have those big blocks of text and I'll kind of read through them and you've got to actually unpick it and say are they making three or four points here and I'm not sure if they're making three or four points here because their ideas are jumbled together. And then you have to use your judgment. And something I tell students is that don't let the marker use their judgment. If you're making four points, show them point one, point two, point three, point four, make it easy for them. Don't make them do the work because they might do the work and come up with the different answer to the one that you think you want them to get. So, no, I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan in making sure that people are using headings and things like that. Now, in terms of you said language, it's more about professional terminology. Um, is there anything that students should stay away from in terms of language that they use and wording that they use? Definitely.
2: Definitely. I have seen some shockers in my time. Um, so, I mean, some, some work that I'll be marking really does make me laugh, um, which isn't what you want from your marker. <laughs> you want to make a good point that they're impressed by, not that they think is funny. Um, I've seen some real shockers in people being overly opinionated in their response to a question or pulling in something quite political, quite topical and giving their thoughts on, which is completely inappropriate in the exam. Um, The use of professional language is really important. You are training to be a professional accountant. You're gonna work in a professional environment. You need to be able to communicate in a professional way. So you've got to make sure that that's coming across in your answers. One thing that I have seen more and more, didn't used to see this, say 10, 15 years ago, um, when I originally started out with lots of marking and assessing, um, is that text language has become more and more common. Um, And I have to say, it really frustrates me. It's not acceptable. You wouldn't send um, text language in an email to someone, In your workplace or or certainly not to your boss the manager the CEO of your firm Um, and it's just not acceptable to put in to your um, to your exam I think the one if I've taught any of you that are listening to this um, you will have heard me rant about this one is because being spelled B-C-O-Z never that's not how it's spelled I've seen it so many times Um, and it's just not professional and it really does put a bit of a downer on that point that you're making um, as a marker as you're reading it. You're kind of doubting a little of what their meaning is and what they're trying to get across when you see that. Um, to kind of flip that back on you guys, what would you say is the most interesting, funny example that you've seen in stuff that you've marked? Do you think?
1: For me, it's in tax exams, um, I've seen there was an old, old ICAW exam question where someone was employed and they were told that there was a series of benefits in kind. And one of them is they were given the use of the company of a company Daimler or a Daimler was provided for them. And a student who clearly hadn't heard of the car brand, the Daimler at the time, um, said, I don't know if a dog is a taxable benefit. Um, and, And I always think it's better probably not to guess. And and I I kind of thought, well, how how do you measure the CO2 emissions of a dog, which I'm not entirely certain how they would have got got that kind of data out there. Um, And I, I also had someone who they were asked a question about how they could reduce a capital gains tax liability on the disposal of a piece of land. And the correct answer was that there's a relief for a small part disposal of a piece of land. Um, But someone in the exam said that you could just tell the revenue that you'd sold your house and claim PPR, which is fraud, and you go to prison for it. And and I, I always think it's not a very clever idea to suggest breaking the law in a professional accountancy exam. I would imagine, and you might be able to help me here, Crystal, but I would imagine that the examiners take a pretty dim view of people suggesting illegal action in the exams.
2: Absolutely. As an examiner, as a marker, as an assessor, you see something like that and you think, do you want this person out there in the professional world representing mm. um, this profession? It's. I've often seen things um, in relation to ethics where a student absolutely right to say, you can't do that. It's it's breaching the ethical principles it's not ethical to be doing it um, and in their response they've been swearing about not doing that um, because it's unethical and it just it, that that's not professional that's really not helping good point made but you're really limiting the marks you can get from that um, how about you Ben Have you had anything interesting
0: I've I've seen bad language, as you just referred to, which I always think is a big no-no. I've seen it accidentally by students where they've just got the wrong word and inadvertently put a swear word in their answer, which makes me chuckle. But I've also seen it where people have deliberately used it, which is just wholly unacceptable and unprofessional. But the big thing that really gets my back up when I'm looking at students' work is when it literally just stops mid-sentence. I really am disappointed with students where that happened, because I appreciate the time pressured exams. But something I would always coach and encourage students in my classes to do is kind of structure an ending. The fact that most of the exams, if not all of them now on the computer means you could probably type up a little ending. So it closes and then at least the marker gets a sense of you have professionally finished the communication because quite often, that the exam question will be respond via an email or a letter or something and so putting in a very brief ending I always think is just a nice touch and I guess another way to convince the marker crystal that, that you should be getting those professional marks.
2: You know that is a really really good point and you may have heard about many of the professional bodies taking this holistic approach to marking. Um, you may have seen in sort of standard mark guides that you see from the professional bodies where they talk about a banded mark approach. Um, And what that really means is that a, a marker now will look at your work holistically. They will look at whether that whole answer fits into a particular band. So you might have a low band of marks, a medium band of marks and a high band of marks. And your marker will look at your answer read it through and say which band is that going to fit in and what's helping them to decide which band that will fit in is first of all is it a complete answer um so seeing an answer that stopped part way through immediately as a marker you're thinking that's not going to meet the top band because they have completed that question they haven't responded in full Um, if you've got a question that say has got three parts in it so you've got a requirement and it's really asking you to do three things If you've only answered two of those things, then as a marker, you know, it's not going to get into that top band. You're looking at the middle or the lower band of marks. Um, Once as a marker, you decide which band that response is going to go into, then there'll be a range of marks for that band. So it might be for the middle band between eight and twelve marks are available you then decide what marks are gonna be allocated to that answer within that band. Um, So yeah, that really ties into that, Ben, that having a full complete answer, you've finished it, you've answered and attempted all parts. If you're asked to give a recommendation, it's there. If you're asked to give advantages and disadvantages, you're given both of them. Um, If you're asked to identify, explain, and recommend that you've done all three of those things, if you do all that, it'll give you the best chance of getting into that top band and therefore getting the good marks out of your answer.
1: I, I love that you said that. I, I seem to spend every single lesson talking exactly about what you said there, where you said identify and explain. And you know, I, I, I kind of tell all of my students that I think the word and is the most misunderstood word in exams because. There's a, a huge number of students that seem to think the word "and" means full stop. The question ends here. Don't read anything after the word "and" because you don't need to bother. Uh, when the reality is, I always think "and" is like that. It is it, telling you there's two questions here. There's one before the end, and there's one after the end. And you've got to make sure you spend enough time. And the one the said was what identify, explain, and there's a, there's a comma there as well. So it's identify. That's one question. Explain. That's a second question. And the bit after the end. It's a third thing. Uh, I think that that that, to me really helps students to kind of understand that there are those different questions. But that kind of leads me on to the question that a number of students ask. And I I think Ben, you've mentioned this before as well, is how do you manage your time in those questions where you've got multiple different tasks that you need to complete?
2: Managing your time in the exam is absolutely vital. Um, I, the, if I had a pound for every time I've been told I ran out of time, I didn't have enough time to do the second part, I, got too ca- I spent too much time on the first part of the question, um, I, I would certainly have more money in the bank than I have. Um, certainly heard, heard it quite a few times. I would say that answering any question is your opportunity to show off, it's your opportunity to show what you've learned, what you know and what you understand. And every time you see a comma or you see an and it's giving you an extra opportunity to show more of what you know and what you understand and what you're capable of um so really look for those questions and see how many things is it asking me to do because you want it to be asking you to do a number of things because that's more opportunities for you to show what you know and what you understand and it's more opportunity for you to pick up marks So definitely first thing you should be doing when you read a requirement is looking at it and really thinking, how many things is it asking me to do? Sometimes we know that going into an exam, you will have two parts to a question at least, and it's probably going to break down kind of 60% and 40% between those requirements. When you know that's going to happen, you must be prepared. You know that in advance, there is no excuse for not knowing how much time you're going to spend on each part. Um, so if you've got a question, 25 marks, and there'll be a couple of parts in it that are likely to be 60% and 40%, you know that you've got 15 marks for one part, 10 marks for the other part. You can make sure you allocate enough time to them. So that's one thing which is quite easy to prepare yourself for. Absolutely no excuses for not being prepared for that. When you've got a requirement that's kind of a part A And in that sentence, it's asking you to do two or three things. That's a bit harder. So that's where you really do have to think, how many things is it asking me to do? How many opportunities is it giving me to show I know enough and to give me marks? And think about what what verb is being used there? How much is expected of me? If I'm asked to identify, to explain and to recommend, identify, isn't going to take me long to do. There won't be many marks for that. Explain, that's, that's a higher level verb. but That needs a lot more. I need to make myself understood. So I need to give a bit more time to that. If I'm asked to recommend something, recommend is never giving one word or one line. Recommend is saying what the course of action should be and always why that should be the course of action. So that will need a bit of time dedicated to it as well. So look at the requirement, think how much of this, I've got 15 minutes to do this part A, how much of this time am I going to dedicate to each of those three things? Decide it in advance before you start typing um, and make sure you stick to it. If you see yourself time for a, a part of a question, stick to it because you've done that for a reason. Um, I think there. I've mentioned a few verbs. Um, and I am very well known for being slightly obsessed with verbs. Um, I do tend to talk about them quite a lot. Because they are just so important to prepare yourself for what a verb means when you're going into the exam. Um, so kind of, you've probably all had lots of experience of seeing different questions now and you will have seen different verbs like explain, discuss, recommend, justify, evaluate, they all mean different things. You must know what those things mean before you go into the exam. Do your homework. Make sure you understand that justify means giving the arguments for your recommendation or giving arguments for the actions that are to be taken. Ben, I know that you have a really good way of explaining verbs, which is far more interesting than how I do. Um, So shall I let you tell us a bit about some of the verbs?
0: This is a bit of fun I've had in class with students over the years, but they seem to get it when we kind of explain it this way. So I usually pick an elephant and I would ask the class to describe an elephant to me. And when they're describing an elephant, they are giving me the features. They would be describing the color of an elephant. The fact it's got a trunk, it's got tusks, it's a mammal. That's describing an elephant. Then i will ask them maybe to evaluate whether they would want to keep a, an elephant as a pet. Now, the, the verb evaluate is completely different style of answer now, isn't it? Evaluating whether you keep an elephant for a pet, you would say it's going to take up a lot of space, Ben. It's going to eat a lot, Ben. It's probably going to cost me a fortune to keep it. It's going to produce a lot of, of droppings, shall we say politely, on a, on a broadcast podcast. Um, all of those are evaluating the pros and cons of keeping an elephant as a domestic pet. And, and I think if you can do that and use an elephant to then you could say compare an elephant to a... Lion, for example, and think, well, how would I then do that in an answer? Now, sadly, in an accountancy financial exam, you're not going to get anything about elephants. I would highly doubt. But you get the idea of how the verb does change the style of your answer. And I guess, Dave, Crystal, you would be the same as me. I think it's always one one of my most upsetting moments is when I have to go through an answer with a student and say, look, what you've written there is, is really, really good stuff. I can only give you a very limited number of marks because you have not answered the question that the examiner has sat. And and that happens for one of two reasons, I think, either because the student just misreads the the requirement. And so it goes back, Crystal, to having that time to, to take stock of the requirement. And I really liked your tip earlier of keep going back to the requirement as you're doing it to make sure you're not drifting off point. So it's either that they've missed the requirement Or psychologically, they want to answer a question that they have prepared for because maybe it's one they've come across in the past. And so they just write the same stuff that they think is going to cover this answer, even though the examiner's just slightly shifted the focus by the importance of those verbs. So I agree 100 percent. My classes very much get students to focus on those verbs. And I think it is a very important point you raise, Crystal, for students to just spend the time on the day of the exam Fully making sure they are answering what has been asked of them. Funny ben, I, I do a
1: very similar thing with with the verbs and trying to contextualise the verbs in the question into something that is not accountancy based. Uh, and I I got uh, I, I teach um, advanced performance management at ACCA. It's one of my favourite papers. Uh, I really I, I love the questions there, but the, the verbs there. Um, They sometimes throw students and one of them that I came across a good few years ago was there's a question that said, can you evaluate the benefits of something and students complained to me they said, how can you evaluate the benefits because an evaluation is looking at benefits and drawbacks. And so I just said, well, look at it in a, in, a, in a slightly different context. And it was at the time that um, my, my wife and I had um, were, um, had kind of just had our first child. And I said, well, we, we went to buy a buggy in a shop for, for our as then unborn child. And the salesperson said, you should get this buggy. And it's like, why should we get this one? And they say, well, it's really lightweight and you can move it around really fast. Okay. And they said, well, what else about it? And they said, well, it's easy to collapse. You can do it with one hand. And they showed me a one handed collapsing of a buggy into a a small thing. And they said, look how small it is. This this buggy fits in the back of a mini. It's so small. It easily fits in a tiny car. So he told me about the benefits. Then I went home with my wife and we said, do we want that buggy? I said, well, the, the fact that it's light. That's okay, But, you know, we we don't live on the block of flats. We don't have to carry it anywhere. That benefit's not really worth that much to me. Um, The fact that it fits in the back of a Mini doesn't matter. We've got a big car. You know, it, it doesn't need to be space saving to go in the back of a big car. But the fact that I can do it one handed and collapse it and it's simple to do, Well, you know, I get confused with a deck chair, let alone a buggy. So that to me is a massive benefit. So when we evaluated the benefits, there was one of them that actually meant something to me. And that was the fact that it was easily collapsible with one hand. The other two things, yeah, there were benefits, but they weren't worth much to me. And when you then spell it out, it's kind of go through it like that. You then go back to the question. say, "Oh, So what they want me to do is look at the benefits of this bonus scheme and say, do these benefits, are they going to help us in this particular business? So uh, I, I love your elephant. I mean, I normally go for a dog rather than an elephant. But um, it, it's, you know, I, I think contextualising the verbs and getting used to those verbs. Because then when you go into the exams, I'm right, I know what evaluate means. You know, I know what identify means. I know what contrast means. Uh, and it sounds bizarre that we're saying these words that we use every day. But when you get them an exam, they really can throw you.
0: Exactly. I think you two have been around as long as I have, and one of the big changes we've seen in our teaching career is the shift to computerization of the exams. I'd be really interested, Crystal, to hear your thoughts and any tips for students, as now as an assessor you are seeing work that they're producing in the exam software, as opposed to when we all started teaching, that the handwritten scripts that we used to go through and mark. So. What's your view on what students should be doing to, to keep assessors happy by utilising the, the software?
2: I think there's a couple of things. First of all, that are real benefits for um, for having computerised software now. So the first one is handwriting used to be an issue. I'm not going to lie, sometimes it would take some time to work out what someone was saying and it could end up with a bit of a guess at what word was so we don't have that problem anymore it does however make um kind of spelling mistakes more obvious spelling mistakes aren't an issue but if you're unable to string a sentence together that's legible um, on the computer that's a, more of a challenge the other thing which is really really good with having it on computer now sort of your word processed answer is that you have this ability to spend the first five minutes, 10 minutes maybe of answering a question, looking at the requirements, deciding what you need to do and putting your headings in. So as soon as you read that requirement, you can break it down into the parts that you need to answer and put those main headings in. And then you know what it is that you've got to answer you can then go back and fill in with a kind of brainstorming approach, your subheadings, all of your ideas on the points that you're going to make. Because you couldn't do that when it was all handwritten. You had to do a plan, scrub it out and then write everything out later. But because of it being word process, you can go back in and fill that information in. So you can put all your headings in and then you can look back to the requirements and decide how am I going to make those points? So what I've brainstormed. How am I going to make those points relevant to what that requirement is asking me to do? Um, So it gives you that opportunity to be able to develop a really good answer because you can take that process. Um, It almost slows that process down a bit. It gives you that opportunity to identify your ideas, go back, check the requirement before you start writing. Um, The other thing that is a real benefit as well is that you have a delete button. Um, which obviously always use with caution. Um, Don't go in write for 20 minutes and hit delete and the whole lot's gone. But what I very often used to see in handwritten exams is someone would start writing something, which is clearly off track, which really isn't going to get them any marks, but because they've started, they're going to finish. Um, And so you get a paragraph of just a waffle that's, not, it might even actually be complete gold dust that's been written, but it's just not in line with the requirement. Um, but they're finished because they've started. Whereas we don't have that now, um, which is a real benefit, but definitely use that delete button with caution. But take advantage of the fact that you can plan your answer, you can brainstorm your points, and you can really take your time to make sure that those points you're making meet the requirement because you can kind of. Um, Fill in your answer in the order in which you want to.
0: At, at that point I would normally encourage students to go and have a play with the exam software. All of the institutes are pretty good at releasing versions of it that, that you can go and practice on, you can do questions, but I guess just an understanding of the functions And use of the full screen crystal, I guess you might see a few answers where stuff is just all written in one box in the top left hand corner, which is really hard for for the marker to then really get to grips with, where if the student had just used the full screen available and all of the separate boxes, or that the functions within it to do things, as you say, like a table, if you're comparing points, all of that stuff is just really utilising the software to your advantage, it's adding value to your answer.
2: Definitely, if you were asked to do a task in the workplace for your boss, how would you respond? If they asked you to do that, how would you present it? How would you respond to them? Um, Give give the same attention to detail in your exam answer. The other thing is, don't hide your answer. So don't feel like you need to put in um, 10 blank lines or a massive bit of space to move your answer down the page so that your marker has to look for it. Um, You don't want it to get missed. It shouldn't get missed, but don't take that chance. Um, make sure it's clear. Definitely.
1: Excellent. And, um, Crystal, we've, we've talked a lot about kind of written questions from a marking perspective, but what about calculation-based questions? So, if, if we're trying to present our the calculations for an examiner. Are there any kind of tips that you would give people or kind of anything, that, any advice you'd give about laying out a numerical question in an exam?
2: My absolute top tip there is label your numbers. What is really infuriating to see and is it's just such a shame is when there's a load of numbers that have just been typed down the page and you don't know what those numbers mean. haven't got a label by the side of them. It hasn't been put that that's profit. That's the overhead absorption rates. That's the relevant cost. Label your your numbers is the best bit of advice I can give. Um, And make sure you show your final answer. So if you're asked to calculate an MPV, then do all your workings, show how you've got to it, lay out a nice table, but make sure you make that MPV clear. Your final answer make it clear, underline it, put a dollar sign in front of it, um, show your marker. Look, all of that work that I did, I came out with that answer. If it's right, they're probably not so interested in how you got to it. You've got the right answer. But if that number isn't right, that's when having labelled every number you've put down is important because they can look back at your workings what numbers you used, how you used them and look to see whether they could give you some marks, give you some credit for what you have done right.
1: Yeah I mean one of the things that I know from those sleepless nights when you're marking scripts overnight is when you've got a computation question, you mentioned MPV, I've I've marked countless MPV questions and when you open up a page and first of all, the layout's there and you say, right, I can see that's their MPV. And then at the bottom, they've got MPV is equal to and they've underlined their answer. And the first thing I do is I go to that number and say, right, that's their MPV. And by the time I've marked five scripts, I know what the MPV should be if they've got it right. And if they've got it right, then I'm thinking this is full marks. All I'm doing is I'm just doing a quick audit to make sure they've covered the things that they need to uh, and they've given me explanations where they should do. But I want to give this full marks uh, and it's going to be difficult for me not to give it full marks if the answer's right. If I can't see their MPV, then it's kind of, well, I don't know where your answer is. So now I've got to start digging for every single calculation. And if your calculations are clear, you're not going to get the credit for it that you may that you may well do or, or that you should do. Um, and the other thing that I know... A couple of people in this room because I've been on some of my revision courses will know I am obsessive about when you go through a question and you write a number down you should never just write a number it should have a pound sign it should have units it should have kilograms it should have liters you need to write down what it is because every other calculation based on it more difficult also, you're not telling the examiner it. Is. so I, I love the fact that you're telling people exactly the same thing. So that's giving me a lot of reassurance. It's great.
0: The other thing <laughs> I would add at that stage, as someone that's marking a lot of stuff at the moment, mock-wise, is to to try and show your workings in full and cross-reference as far as possible. I mark a lot of financial reporting, and if someone says heading this is my goodwill working, when I get the mark guide and it says you can give up to seven marks for a goodwill working. They've already got probably their first mark just by saying, well, at least I'm going to tell Ben or the marker I'm doing a separate Goodwill marking, working. So then cross-referencing it back. Don't just put your Goodwill number into your answer. Cross-reference it and say, see working one and then do that to the side or underneath on the screen. And really, again, take advantage of the space that you've got to, to, to lay it out in a way that the marker can follow.
2: I think that goes right back full circle to what we said right at the start. Why should you keep your marker in mind? That is exactly a great example as to why we do that. Make it easy. Show that number. The working for it is down here. Go and have a look. See that I've done it all right or I've done it 90% right. Give me the marks that I need for it.
0: Cool. Well, as always on these Wednesday night sessions, time is running away with us. I've got a revision session to get to for seven o'clock and I can't be late because I've got a class that will be waiting for me. So I'm going to say, Crystal, thank you for joining us. It is lovely to see you on the screen and and hear your voice. We haven't seen each other in the office for for quite a number of months now. At some point, hopefully in the new year, we'll be able to get together. Um, Crystal is a real cool dude, as well as being a really cool tutor. She has got a, a really wicked VW camper van. And I can't wait till you you've brought that back up to our office in Cambridge, and we can see Crystal and have you in the building again because you, you just brighten up the place, Crystal. So thank you for joining us, Dave. I will leave you for the final thoughts for this week. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben.
1: So I too have a revision session to to, to teach in the, in the in the next half hour or so. So I will have to. You're heading on fairly soon but um uh, yeah I, exactly as ben said thank you so much for for spending your evening with us, crystal and i think the the biggest takeaway that i've got that i've never really kind of considered that you talked about was where you break down those questions into individual individual chunks individual parts if you're answering every single one of them you're showing the examiner exactly what you know and I just love that idea of if you go into an exam and you've got, say, 40 different things you're being asked, you're showing the examiner, I know 40 different things. If you only answer one question, you're saying to the examiner, I know one thing. Now, I know how to write my name, OK, but I don't know anything else in the exam. So the, the importance of answering every single one of those questions is that you're showing the examiner how much you know. I say, look, I know all this stuff. There is no way you can fail me if I know all this stuff. Okay, so, uh, yeah, thank you very much for that, Crystal. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I, I know that, um, that when you're, you're next in Essex, my daughter is going to absolutely go crazy when she sees you because she always loves it when Crystal comes down to visit.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Myself and Dave are going to be back with some live forums. We're scheduling them to start back up on the 7th of September. So look out for emails coming out with how to register for them. In the meantime, we will be releasing further back episodes throughout the summer. Thank you very much.